You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Jump into week two of Who is God? Let me pray for us and then we will dive in together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time this evening. Thank you for an opportunity to open your word and to be reminded of what is ultimately most true. God, I thank you that you are speaking to us in this place, that you have a message for each one of us, and God, I pray that we would have hearts open and ears open to hear what it is that you have to say to us. So God, through your word, would you comfort us, would you convict us, and would you change us that we might be more like you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So week one, week one of who is God, we opened with this idea that this is the most important question we will ever ask. And the reason it's the most important question we will ever ask is because it is the question that guides and shapes the way we live. It guides and shapes how you think about God. It guides and shapes every step you take. And what we realize together is that, unfortunately, all of us, all of us are prone to want to make God into our own image rather than allow him to make us into his image. I brought up some boys on stage with me and I painted on their face and talked about when Jesus reveals himself to us, we usually look at him and we go, I don't really like that part of what your word says. I think that doesn't really match the agenda that I'm most passionate about. Oh, that's a little tough for me. I don't like that version of you, God. And what we do is we end up creating an image of God that is not reflective of who he is. It's just reflective of who we are. Which begs the question, is the God that you're worshiping just yourself glorified? Or is the God you're worshiping actually the one true God. We talked about how God, by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gives us access to himself, that we have unlimited access to God, that we can talk with him, that we can learn about him, that we can grow in that relationship with him, because he has given us access. And then where we ended was talking about God as our Father, We said two big things about that. We said that when God is our father, that means that God has prioritized a relationship with you. From the very beginning of time, God prioritized you. That means you matter to him. We looked at Ephesians where it talks about how we are chosen in him. And then you read in your group time, in small groups, you read about how God is our provider. That story of God providing manna for the Israelites that God is your provider as your father. Well, week two, we're jumping into who is Jesus. And here's the big idea that you're gonna be discussing in your groups in a few minutes. The big idea is this. Jesus is fully human, he is fully God, and he is fully what we need. That Jesus is fully human, he is fully God, and he is fully what 
we need. So the first, the first uh, big idea we're going to hone in on is that Jesus is human. I mean, that's kind of an interesting concept to even think about that, that, okay, the God of the universe is a human. Well, that's how God wants us to understand himself in the person of Jesus, that Jesus is a human. But here's why that matters. Jesus is human means that he can relate means that he can relate with you. The fact that God is a person, is the actual Jesus Christ, means that God can relate to you. I want to show you a few verses real quick. Find me in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12 says this. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I mean, just think about those words. Today, a savior has been born to you. And the word born literally means that he came into existence. He appeared but that this isn't just any normal baby. This is the Messiah. This is our rescuer. This is the one that we've been looking for. He continues, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Do you know that? That your Lord and Savior, the God of the universe, experienced just like you did what childhood was like, what teenage years were like, what young adult years were like. You see, sometimes I think when we conceive of God, our first thought goes to, there's no way he could ever understand anything I'm going through right now. But the very fact, the very fact that Jesus, that God chose to bring Jesus into the world, not by him just appearing, but by him being born and growing up tells us that he understands the awkward years. That he understands what it's like to be in our shoes. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, he, he picks this up later in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have, this is so profound, you guys, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet looking his creation and go, I can't even, right? Like, have you all heard that phrase? Like, everyone uses that phrase, I can't even, right? Like, I can't even. It literally is like, I can't even deal with it. Like, I just can't even go there. I'm sorry. That is not how God looks at you and I. That how God looks at you and I is he says, yes, I can, and yes, I will. That just as you have been tempted, so Jesus has been tempted. And yet, thanks be to God, he didn't give in to that sin because that's what makes him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. But I am so grateful for a God that understands what it's like to be tempted. I'm thankful for a God that can relate to me. I think one of the lies that the enemy loves to tell the people of God is that when we're struggling with something, that when there's a specific temptation in front of us, 
And we, we think, man, I'm in this by myself. Nobody gets what it's like. And sometimes we feel like that, right? Like our sin is so unique. Our struggles are so unique. To know that Jesus understands exactly what it's like to be tempted, exactly what it's like to feel those things, gives you and I an incredible amount of peace and freedom to just be honest with him. I've told you guys this before. Prayer is not a place to be polite. It's a place to be honest. That when you're talking with God and you're struggling, you're saying, Lord, I know I shouldn't be attracted to this person. Lord, I know that, that this party is not what you have for me. Lord, I know that lying to my parents is not your will. That, Lord, I know jumping into that relationship is just like the last one I was in and is not what you have for me. That, Lord, I know those drugs or that gang or that group of friends is not going to lead me closer to you. You have a God right next to you who didn't sin like we do, but who understands completely what it's like to be tempted. You see, the fact that Jesus is human means that he can relate, that he understands, that he doesn't look at a world and say, I can't even, but he says, I will, and I can, and here I am. What's interesting is if you look back in the Old Testament, you find the writers 500 years before Jesus ever shows up on the scene, having these prophecies, having these visions, having these experiences where they're seeing God and they're trying to figure out how to describe him and they can't help but use human language and human anatomy to describe the God of the universe. I want to show you one of them in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says this, In my vision at night I looked and there was before me one like a son of man. And so he's seeing this vision. He's like, the person, I'm, I, I'm looking at something and I can't tell exactly what it is, but it looks something like a man. And then he says this, he was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I mean, when Daniel wrote this, he was in captivity to the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the most powerful super force on the, pl on the planet. Nobody could have possibly imagined a day when the Babylonians were not in charge. And yet Daniel has this vision. He says, I see what looks like a son of man. And the other kingdoms will fall to the wayside, but his kingdom will never end. When Jesus rolled up, Rome was in charge. And it was inconceivable that Rome would ever not be in power. And yet here we are 2,000 years later. Rome is absolutely not in power. And yet the kingdom of Jesus is just getting started. That God's kingdom is still continuing to expand. It's an everlasting kingdom. Check out what it talks about in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 25 to 28. 
Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis luzili. Any of you that are like our Bible scholars, tell, let me figure out that what is. I don't, I've never heard of those words before. Lapis luzili, whatever that is. And high above on the throne, it's a stone? Thank you, Sarah. Bible scholar, I appreciate that. Okay. What looked like a throne of rock Sarah has seen before, and high above, check this out, and high above on that throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared, I saw that from what appeared, thank you. Guys, can you guys? good? There we are. Yes, we're live. Thank you, Mel. Give it up for Mel and Isaiah and the team up there. All right, let's get back to it. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire, and that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Then I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel is having this crazy, trippy, vision, like not drug-induced experience, and, and he's realizing that as God Almighty is revealing himself to Ezekiel, he looks like a man. You see, it's brilliant. It's brilliant on God's part. And for God to choose to become like one of us communicates that we can relate to him and that he can relate to us that he knows what it's like to sit in our chairs and to walk in our shoes, that he gets us. I want to just maybe just sit there for a second. I think some of us in this room feel like we're the only one dealing with whatever it is that we're dealing with. Some of us feel like alone and lost. And because we feel like that, we sometimes cling to unhealthy relationships. We cling to people that aren't right for us. We cling to communities. We cling to gangs. We cling to environments that aren't leading us closer to Christ. We cling to unhealthy coping mechanisms. We cling to unhealthy habits. And when we do that, what we realize is that really what we're looking for is God, but we're looking for him in all the wrong places. Because we have this deep fear that God doesn't understand what it's like to be me, so I'm alone. But when God revealed himself as a human in Jesus Christ, he made it crystal clear to us that we are not only never alone, but we are never misunderstood by him. That he completely understands us. Well, not only is Jesus human, meaning he can relate to me, but Jesus is God. 
So Jesus wasn't just a human. God isn't just a human here, but Jesus is God, and he can see more than I can. So not only can he relate to me, but the fact that Jesus is God means that he can see more than I can see. I want to show you some verses that we have talked about before, and then we're going to get to a new passage. John chapter 1, the opening pages of this gospel read like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When it says Word here, it's talking about Jesus. John makes it crystal clear. When we're talking about Jesus, we're always talking about him as God. This means that what he calls sin, we have to take very seriously. Because he's not just a, another teacher. He's not just another rabbi. He didn't just have some kind of interesting, miraculous powers. No. If he is the God of the universe, that means his word goes. That means what he calls sin is sin. What he says is good we as Christians define as good. He goes on in verse 14 and he says, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And then verse, verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Jesus here is depicted as being one with the Father, as being God himself. There's lots of religions out there that, that when they talk about Jesus, they'll say he's a God, or they'll say he's a prophet, or he's an interesting healer. But scripture is crystal clear that Jesus might be those things, but before he is those things, he is the Lord of the universe, that he is God Almighty. And then check it out a few chapters later, John chapter 5, he writes this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, so he, Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath, people were having problems with that, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Scripture, again, is very crystal clear that in Jesus' day, the language he used, nobody would have misunderstood that he was claiming to be God. But then listen to what happens next. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And then check, in, check out verse 20. This is where it gets really important. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. We're gonna come back to that. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all the judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Check out what verse 20 said again. For the father loves the son. The father loves the son. Remember how we talked about how they are in perfect relationship with each other? 
that as they are one God, they're in this perfect intertwined relationship. The father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. This means that God is not done with us yet. This means that God can see farther than you and I can see. This means that God has great works that he wants to do in your life. Like sin that you're struggling with right now, he wants to free you from it. Big questions that you have, he wants to answer those. Doubts, frustrations, God wants to work powerfully in your life. The question is, do you have eyes open to see? The question is, are you content being right where God has you so that he can teach you exactly what it is that he wants to teach you? Sometimes I talk with students, especially as they get into junior and senior year, and they're like, man, I just wish I was graduated already. Man, I, just, I, just, I wish I was in college, man. I wish it was done. I, I, wish, I wish I was on to the next thing. I wish I was out of freshman year. I wish I was done with that sport. I wish it was already summer. I wish I was already in college. You know what's so dangerous about that? Is when you think that way, and when that's kind of your mindset, you will always miss whatever it is that God wants to do in your life right now. I want you to think about this. If God wanted you to be in college right now, he'd have you in college. If God wanted you to be done with senior year, you'd be done with senior year. If God wanted you in a different city, you'd be in a different city. If God wanted you in that next place, he would already have you in that next place. But he doesn't have you there. He has you here. And to be wishing that you were somewhere else means you will always miss what it is that God wants to do right now. And students, when you live in that world, you miss out every time. So here's my challenge to you students. If God has you where he has you right now, what is he trying to teach you? And you could wish it away. You could say, I wish I was on to the next thing. But that's to deny that God has you here for a reason. The exciting part is, what if, what if, tomorrow at school, God's just waiting. He's like, oh man, I can't wait to use you. And if you're walking around the halls and you're like, man, I just wish I was at Cal Poly already, or man, Mount Sac's going to be so cool. I'll be in this, you know, in these, all these fancy college classes. Or, oh man, I wish I could just get to my job. Or I wish I could, what would happen? You would miss out on that moment that God has you in to do what it is that he wants you to do. Remember, scripture says that you are God's masterpiece, that he has prepared good works in advance for you to do. This means that God is like, oh man, I can't wait for you to wake up in the morning because I've got something for you to do. I've got someone for you to talk to. I've got someone for you to encourage. I've got an opportunity for you to share about your relationship with Jesus. I've got purpose and a plan to your life. And some of you are just like Snapchatting for days, just looking for that next thing. And here's the problem. When you have that kind of mindset, you'll get to that next season and you'll quickly get bored, quickly desire to move on to the next thing, and you will live your entire life missing out on the moment that God has you in. You see, Jesus has great things that the Father, that the Son, that the Holy Spirit want to reveal to us. 
The question is, tomorrow, does God really have control of your life? I mean, tomorrow, I think a prayer that I would encourage all of you to pray is as you wake up tomorrow and as you walk down the halls of your school or as you're homeschooled and you're interacting with your family or as you're hanging out with people, what if you literally prayed, God, my life is not my own. God, you have amazing things to show me. Verse 20, that he will show you even greater work so that you will be amazed. I mean, think about this. If you are bored as a Christian, it's not because Jesus is boring. It's because the way you're following him is boring. That scripture says God wants to blow your mind tomorrow. But it's going to require you to be bold. It's going to require you to step out. It's going to require you to notice that person that's alone and say, I'm going to choose instead of going off campus with my friends, I'm going to sit down with that person and see what the Lord has for us. It means in your class, you're going to speak up. It means as you dig into the word, you're going to go, okay, God, give me a word. Give me a message. Speak to me because I know that you want to blow my mind. You want to amaze me. And I don't want to miss a single moment. I think about, you know, for me, I... I love, like, I'm, I'm a huge movie guy, huge TV guy. Like, anybody like The Office? Anybody watch The Office? Yes. My wife and I, I've watched The Office for four times all the way through. Like, four times all the way through. And right now, for the first time, Sarah and I are watching The Office together, and it is doing wonders in our marriage, you guys. I mean, it is like unifying us like nothing else can. It's been so amazing and powerful, and literally, we watch every episode together, and we're locked in, and I, because I've seen it so many times before, I'm like, Sarah, I pause it. Like, if she has to go to the bathroom, I'm like, get back here. Like, we're going to watch this. We'll watch it. If she checks her phone, I rewind it, because I'm like, you can't miss Steve Carell. He is my hero. Like, he is killing it right now. And the thing is, I wonder if Jesus is like, students, open your flipping eyes. Because God is on the move all around you, and you're apathetic, and you're bored, and you're checked out, and you're on your phones, and you're going, trying to just fast forward your life to the next thing. And he's going, I am here in this moment wanting to do something great. Would you just trust me? Students, I want to challenge you to be bold tomorrow, to step out and go, okay, God, my life belongs to you and to you only. But not only is Jesus human, meaning he can relate to us, and not only is Jesus God, meaning that he can see farther than we can see, that he has more for us than we could imagine, but number three, Jesus is our savior, and this means he can save me. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Kyle, come up here real quick. Kyle, come up. Just lay down real quick. Just lay down. I just thought of this, so we'll see where this goes. Lay down. I know. You just sit in the front row, so you just what happens. Lay down. Just lay down. Here's what scripture says about our lives. Scripture says that sin, sin, I'm sorry, I'm not being really sensitive. I just got to hurry. Scripture says that sin is like death. Sin is death. That sin piles on top of us. This is awesome. I wish I could, I wish I had something heavier. That sin, 
that what sin will do to us, what sin will do to us is it will bury us, it will lead to a life of perishing, that there is no hope for you and I. For God so loved the world. Kyle, stop moving, you're dead. Okay. <laughs> Scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave. You know what love does? Love gives. Love always gives. Love always sacrifices. Love always lays down its life. And God looked at a world buried in its sin. God looked at a world overcome by its sin. God looked at a world that was so entangled in its sin that you literally look at this mess and you're going, where do I even start? But God, because he's a human and he can relate to us, because Jesus is God and he can see beyond us, and because Jesus is our Savior, he has the power to save us. And what scripture says is if you believe and when it says believe, it's not just like you go to church and you, you, know, you kind of think, oh yeah, it makes sense. Believing in the scriptures means you trust with your life. Make no mistake about it, students. To believe means I will give my life for this. I would be willing to die for this. Scripture says if you trust in God with every part of you, with your whole heart, he will do for you, and I wish it was heavier so it could like prove the point, but if I were to do this, like, there's no way Kyle could get up right now. Don't try. There's no way Kyle, there's no way Kyle could get up on his own. But what's awesome about scripture, what's awesome about scripture is it says that this whole mess right here needed to be dealt with and God dealt with it. I want to show you, you're just going to sit there for a second, Kyle. I want to show you one last scripture in Isaiah. 500 years before Jesus ever showed up, this is what it says in Isaiah. Do we have that up there, guys? You're doing a great job. You're such a stud. There we go. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 2. He grew up before him. I'll find this right here. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty. It's beginning to describe Jesus 500 years before he shows up. These are harsh words. He grew up, uh, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Ouch, God. Um, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted, but he was pierced. 500 years before this happened, Jesus was pierced in the side once he had died on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. It's another way of saying for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Harsh words for Jesus, and beautiful words for us. Because what Jesus did for every single one of you is he looked at you under a pile of your own sin. 
under the mess of your life. And some of you that are still living there right now, he's looking at you, and you know what? His heart is breaking. And what he chooses to do is he chooses to take all of it, and instead of making you figure out how to fix your own life, he takes all of it, and he puts it on himself. And he instead lays in your place. He is the punishment. He experiences the punishment that you and I deserved. And so students, hold on, just chill there. Tonight, in your groups, as you break into your groups, I want you to talk about these three ideas. That Jesus is human means he can relate to you. That Jesus is God, that means he can see more than you can see. And that Jesus is Savior, meaning he can save you. And there's some of you tonight who you're still buried under all that stuff. And you've tried to remove it. You've tried to figure it out. You've tried to call it okay. You've said, hey, this sin I'm dealing with, it's fine. God doesn't care about it. He does. He does care about it. In fact, it's getting in the way of you and him. And so tonight in your groups, if that's you, and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, I want you to talk to your small group leader about that, and they would love to talk with you about how to begin that relationship with Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we will uh, break into small groups. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. I pray that we'd have a bigger, better understanding of who you are, Jesus, that we'd have that image and be reminded that, that we are underneath our sin, that we are dead in our sin, and yet you that you have stepped in the gap, that you have absorbed the pain, that you have taken care of the sin, and that you offer us yourself. Thank you, Jesus, that you can relate to me. Thank you, Jesus, that you can see farther than me. And thank you, Jesus, that you have saved me. Now help me to live my entire life in response to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.